0: Hello, and welcome back to the Morbid Museum. We are your hosts, Katie Mead and
1: Luke Boyd. Hello. Hello.
0: How y'all doing?
1: Herpy Persian and <laughs> We're here. <laughs> I realize not everyone celebrates President's Month as much as we do. <laughs> no, no one does. But we are making this happen. Now, here's my question to you.
0: Did we make up President's Month, and it's actually just President's Day and President's Week? Yes,
1: yes, we did. Go on. <laughs> and we also, yeah. <laughs> is it neither the President's Month? Okay. Um, and it is also Black History Month, and we will acknowledge that we are acknowledging. Of course, it. we acknowledge um, that. Yes. But uh, remember, did you ever like buy a car like for President's Day, like the President's Day auto sales? The
0: auto sales are through the. You're welcome. United States. Yeah. And are, th- <laughs> are those
1: still happening? Because I don't like, we don't consume commercials in the same way. Like, I don't watch a lot of local TV. They must be. It's such a tradition.
0: And it's... my family, like, you know, all my older relatives all definitely have cable. So I should ask my mom if it's a thing. I didn't watch the Super Bowl, but if there were going to be car commercials, <laughs> they definitely would have been on there.
1: Yes. I watched a few commercials. There's, there. I, I lost some time that night. Um, so... I don't watch the Super Bowl. I'm too busy
0: researching presidents. <laughs> You know, like a cool yeah.
1: guy. Uh, you know, Super Bowl Sunday is a great day to go to the movies. It's a great day to see Broadway show. It's a great way to go to museum. It's a great day to go to a museum. It's, it's a great a- day
0: for me to watch the Roosevelts on PBS. Oh, <laughs> I'm so happy you did. Yeah, no. I'm so happy you did.
1: Thank um, you for I, the. I I
0: don't
1: I don't buy a lot of cars, but I I have participated <laughs> in a tradition for myself that comes every couple of years mm. when I need like some office furniture, like if I need a presidential esque leather chair. Oh, you know
0: who also does big Presidents Day sales? Yeah, one eight hundred mattress. <laughs> exactly.
1: <laughs> yes. Okay, now we're talking. So this is our this is our tax bracket. We're buying mattresses. <laughs> I have bought I bought this leather uh, computer chair on a Presidential Day sale at Staples, like Amazing. last year. Amazing. And I'm like, this this to me is America. This, Take advantage. This, this is what belongs: Presidential chair, Presidential rate, um, discount. Uh,
0: <laughs> speaking of very American. Today, yes, I will be talking about an assassination. Mm. <laughs> guns, my friend, guns. So American. I will be, unfortunately, sharing with you the devastatingly sad and possibly avoidable death of our 20th president, James Garfield. listen I know. One of the saddest things about his assassination is that he was actually on track to possibly be one of the greatest presidents we've ever had. Mm. He stood for so much during a time when people stood for not so much (laughs) in the the government and higher Mm -hmm. classes, for Mm -hmm. sure. Uh, Today, many historians agree that he is an example of a president who just had enormous potential to truly change the country for the better. And he had the kind of qualities that you dream of in a president. He was Mm. humble, Mm -hmm. but had a really good sense of self. He was affable with a sense of right and wrong and a keen awareness of the unacceptable amount of nepotism and corruption that was existing in DC at that time. (laughs) At that time, (laughs) certainly not now.
1: Right, because you're talking uh, like we're talking. We're talking Gilded Age.
0: Yeah. So yeah, we've kind of briefly mentioned Gilded Age on the podcast in the past, but uh, this is uh, we're kind of in the second Gilded Age right now, where the disparity of wealth is wild. Where there's a we crazy are. tiny percentage of people who are living just above and beyond what you and I could imagine, and then there's this crushing poorer classes and the middle class is like barely exists right now. So very similar vibe. And frankly, we could use a, a Garfield. We could use a reformer (laughs) any day now. That would be great. Um, so yeah,
1: the feelings big time, big time. I know. I'm sorry. Um,
0: (laughs) so despite all of this potential, sadly, after holding office for only a few months, he is shot by Charles J. Gateau on July 2nd, 1881. And he did not die right away. He hang Mm. he hangs on for months, finally succumbing to his injuries on September nineteenth, at the absurdly young age of forty nine. So he had he had so much more presidenting to possibly do. Also, Mm -hmm. he was only president for two hundred days from the beginning of his term till the day that he died, and obviously, for those last few months, he was doing little to nothing in terms of work. I think he maybe wrote a few letters when he felt like he could. Um, right. But by and large, he he really was barely the president. So the question is, after the way I've just described this man, why would someone shoot this president? Mm. And also, why did he die so long after? So... Here we go. Let's start by talking a little bit more about the man himself because he really is a fascinating person and a super, super cool president. So super president. Super president. So let's start. So he loved lasagna, hated Mondays. <laughs> sorry. I had to.
1: <laughs> I'm sorry, Dave. I can't do that. <laughs>
0: That was for my husband Jay. He's been talking about lasagna nonstop this week while I've been doing <laughs> researching Garfield. Anyway, JK JK. He was not a sarcastic orange cat, but he was born in Orange Township. Now known. As, yeah. That
1: was intentional.
0: <laughs> now known as Moreland Hills, Ohio, on November nineteenth, eighteen thirty-one. That's a good segue, right?
1: <laughs> yeah, part of that Ohio cult of presidents.
0: I know. So amazing.
1: many good presidents come from Ohio.
0: His father dies when he is very young, so ultimately that causes him to live a fairly impoverished life. Mm. Um, which I think really is a quality, frankly, like an attribute of some of the best presidents because they have these humble beginnings. Someone who knows what it is to struggle and really not have anything. And when I say really not have anything, he didn't have shoes till he was four. Mm. His mother immediately had to start working. I mean, like his whole family was working except for him because everyone agreed that he was special. His Jimmy. intellect was obvious from the very beginning, so smart, and even his own brother, who did have to go to work, said, James must go to school. He has to be educated.
1: So he's the he's the great hope for the family.
0: He is, and that also says a lot about where he comes from. He comes from a very loving family, mm. uh, apparently a very affectionate family as well, and that causes he himself to be a very affectionate partner and eventually father so yeah that that humble beginnings things i think that really creates uh a level of empathy rather than this sympathy of like oh it's so sad that they're poor it's more like no i fucking know what it's like to not have food for a day or two he's of the people yeah and what's really interesting about him too i (laughs) I love this about him. Because poverty is used during his presidential campaign to be like, he's so courageous and humble and hardworking. Look at how far he's come. He absolutely resented his poverty. And Mm -hmm. he was, I mean, he was tortured for it by his peers, mocked endlessly as a kid. Mm -hmm. And he himself is quoted talking about how he felt like had he not grown up so poor he could have done so much more with his life which is hilarious because he's so accomplished wow yeah i'm about to tell you all the shit this guy did that's gonna make you feel like you're a terrible person
1: (laughs) can't wait can't wait to especially now as we doesn't get easy as we get older no no get
0: ready for how many books i not write okay great (laughs) embrace your mediocrity here we go great so uh What's really funny about him is from a young age, such a little boy thing, he read a book about sailing and decided he wanted a life on the sea, except he lives in Ohio and there is no (laughs) sea. (laughs) Maybe you can see a great lake if you're lucky. (laughs) So at 16, he's like, I'm going to work on the canal, (laughs) the Ohio
1: River. He wants to be a boatman.
0: And his mother's like...
1: This is dumb. Please don't do this. Don't do this. <laughs> Jimmy, it's a fad. There's gonna be these gonna be trains before you know it. Don't get invested in the goddamn canals. They're they're not going anywhere. By
0: the way, I love him rebelling as a 16-year-old is going out and getting a job on a boat.
1: <laughs> Which, hey, the canals were the serial killer highways of the 1820s, okay? He,
0: he was a good boy. Honey, uh, be safe. It turns out uh it was not meant to be because he he falls into the canal. <laughs>
1: Ah, Hope you can swim, Jimbo.
0: Yeah, that must have been such a like, "Mm, told you so. (laughs) 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 Yeah, so he almost drowns and he should have drowned, but by chance, a rope that he had not tied properly still (laughs) held him. And so that knocked some sense into him and he was like, holy shit, I think I've been spared for a higher purpose that my Mm. family might be right and There's more to my life than this. There must be. And so he commits fully to his education. And he excels to get himself through college. Also a great story. He was a janitor. And in full goodwill hunting style, he is so brilliant. Far more than many of his teachers, he becomes a professor when he's a sophomore
1: in college. That's so annoying. <laughs> it's so annoying.
0: As a professor, fucking fuck my life.
1: <laughs> hate Students hate him, and the profs hate him. Guaranteed. Guaranteed no friends.
0: <laughs> and it, but that's the thing. He, he isn't just intelligent. He's super likable. He's mm. extremely charismatic and extroverted. He's also cute. He's got these gorgeous blue eyes. He's six foot tall. He's got broad shoulders quite a looker which we very did very handsome we discussed him quite a bit in t- our sexy president patreon
1: yes garfield's yes. sexiness was touched on but we can yes. always have we always have time for
0: it i always have time for more and and listen if you guys have not listened to that episode you are missing out it's just me and luke basically getting hot and bothered over grandpa's but anyway uh <laughs> back to garfield by now it's pretty clear that garfield has found himself and i think he knew that he was on a path to something truly great after his commencement speech he wrote in his diary i am resolved to make a mark in the world there is some of the slumbering thunder in my soul and it shall come out and make a mark he did as i said he is exceptionally intelligent excelled in scholastics and linguistics was a professor of classics math geology History, literature, eventually becomes a college president. He contributed a goddamn original proof of the Pythagorean theorem, for fuck's sake. Oh, and then, just for shits and gigs, he takes the bar and becomes a lawyer.
1: Which he, is the pathway to
0: success in very much so. most
1: time periods, absolutely.
0: And he's also religious, so he becomes mm. a minister. He just loved learning and reading. He's a joiner. He was a true intellectual, like truly. But like an unusual intellectual in that he wasn't super ins- insular. He, he was mm-hmm. so outgoing and very likable. His students loved him at the college. And beyond just those qualities being bookish and likable, he's also brave. The Civil War breaks out and he is immediately compelled to be part of the or- army. He yes. feels that it is a holy crusade on the war against slavery. He was already in Congress at this point, having run on an anti-slavery platform as a Republican. And he quickly rises in the ranks in the army from Lieutenant Colonel all the way to becoming the youngest officer to hold the rank of major general Mm. in the Union Army. He serves a total of 16 years in Congress. He votes for the 13th Amendment. I mean, he's also in politics during a very pivotal moment in the country and it's it's a big coup to say i served in the war i fought for this country
1: yes the war you know? hero status cannot exactly be denied. no no, and no i think no, no. he i think he saw action in a couple big battles like chickamauga oh, um, yeah. Oh, yeah. he he has there's you know he's very striking in his military uniform and too. he had
0: military background or experience he's just really clever right (laughs) and he's six foot he stands out in a crowd you know
1: looks good on a horse you're (laughs) good to go i'm good
0: in a uniform yeah and i think and luke i'm curious what you think of this too i i do feel that i don't know i feel like military service should be compulsory for presidents because i feel like again that's another thing was like if you're sending people out to war yeah you should have known what it's like to be in a war
1: There is this interesting theme you bring up with commanders in chief with military experience because there's such a marked difference between them. And like you would think of someone like Obama or Kennedy or even like Carter being really cerebral world diplomats. And they're all very different in terms of skill.
0: I mean, Um, Lincoln. Yeah.
1: Yeah. You also know, big time war president and like, right, their humility their you know, but Kennedy did have the military edge. So it's like and <laughs> Carter, Carter served as well, but I don't think he saw a lot of action. I could be totally wrong. But there there is this big disconnect between any. But Kennedy struggled with the, with the chiefs of staff because he was more peace seeking, even though yeah. he was a anti. He was like, you know, he he was into military to a, to an extent. So there yeah. is a lot to be said about military experience. I think, yeah, to be a president, you kind of either have to know the law or you have to know military service. You have to have some kind of experience that makes you bona fide.
0: And Garfield had both. He did. The, the he only did. thing he really lacked was foreign policy experience, but he read up on it. He could tell you like, like how taxation and monetary systems yeah, work sure. in countries all over the fucking world. He was ridiculous.
1: Right. And but and America's not quite of the world power just yet. So no, it's like, that'll, really. we'll grow into that.
0: No, that was actually sadly part of his plans was to mm-hmm. improve the navy and increase our our uh presence on the world stage he had actually set up a um an ex uh what is it? a a pan exposition or something like that i forget what they're called and several countries had already been like yeah let's do it um mm-hmm. and after he died they all started to back out and ultimately uh, Chester A. arthur canceled the whole thing but yeah mm-hmm. he he had big plans he did right. But anyway, going back to just his career here, as a public speaker also, I mean, if someone's this intelligent, you know, sometimes they're not great with people, not great in the public. Nope. Also an amazing moving public speaker. I mean, he is, for me, he has my dream qualifications as a president, as someone who's like very horny for intellectuals, (laughs) but Mm -hmm. also you know, I'm gregarious and I, I like, I like someone who's friendly and easy to talk to. And I just, yeah, I have such a boner for him. It's ridiculous.
1: (laughs) Hey, recognize. I do. He's a good one. one.
0: He could have been a great one. Who knows? But uh, yeah, he's, he checks every box for my idea of a perfect president. So how does he become president? This is a very interesting story. Let's talk about his party at the time. I mentioned he's a Republican. And for those who need reminding, or maybe some of our international listeners, Republicans in the 19th century are not Republicans now. No. Yes. The 19th century Republican Party was essentially born out of a desire to end slavery or at least at minimum, its expansion, and to focus instead on a real unified nation under a centralized government, whereas Democrats at that time were largely Southerners focused on states' rights with the idea of holding on to that institution of slavery and expanding it further out West as we were claiming more of those territories. This flip happens very slowly, over the next several decades. And and I think it's fair to say, I think most historians agree, Luke, that it's it really kind of pivots dramatically around the time that FDR becomes president because he is a Democrat, but he's an intense reformer. Yes. And very much kind of what we think of as a Democrat today.
1: Absolutely. And so people like Kennedy and FDR had to appeal to the Dixiecrats, Mm -hmm. the Southern Democrats who were racists, who were big into states' rights, which is usually code for segregation and Jim Crow. So it gets really metastasized within 100 years of the Civil War in which party of lincoln the republican party is founded yes. and of course republicans make a claim to the party of lincoln today because it is sexy it's but not it's a, far it's a far cry far <laughs> cry from that party for sure yeah um really fascinating dynamic shift so yeah it's important to recognize that when we're talking about the republicans of it the 19th is very century.
0: because it's i think in order to understand that garfield was a reformer and really very anti-slavery it, it it's, it's a very, very different party.
1: No, Republicanism was very different.
0: <laughs> yes, it was. So anyway, now that you know that, the, the Republican Party in the 1880s is split at this point. Let's say 1880 specifically is split in half, into two factions. There's the half-breeds and the stalwarts. And basically... These half-breeds, it's ridiculous. The Gross names they had. It's ridiculous. Well, they usually called, whenever you are learning American history, folks, and there's two ridiculous names, it's usually the party making fun of one another. (laughs) So they did not name themselves that. The stalwarts named them that. So what's dividing them, the issue that's dividing them is something called the spoils system. And this is Mm -hmm. where the president would come into power and they could put, in all their cronies, into these incredibly powerful civil service positions, all of them, really. And they didn't need to have a single qualification. Basically, Mm -hmm. all it was is like, oh, you contributed to my campaign? Oh, you handed out some flyers? Oh, you spoke on my behalf? You put some money under the table to so-and-so? Guess what? Now you're in charge of the post office.
1: (laughs) Postmaster general,
0: big deal. Huge deal. And that had happened, uh, there was a huge scandal that happened in the 1870s Uh, With the post office that I don't have the time to get into, but it's it's been brewing and a very hot topic for the Republican Party come this election in this is the
1: this is the tit for tat game in politics. And
0: this is a big turning point. So basically, this is this is pre civil service exams. So any clown (laughs) could just roll into these jobs and say, oh, I did this for you. Job, please. <laughs> holding my hand out. Give me my job now. Post
1: office still sus, but <laughs> it's super sus. But anyway,
0: <laughs> and just for context, nowadays the president only appoints about two to 3,000 of these positions. In 1880, it is over 80,000 jobs. So it's not just that people are half of them are opposed to this because it's corrupt and terrible. It's also a huge waste of the president's mm-hmm. fucking time. You're only president for four years. I don't have time to be handing out jobs.
1: I have shit to A do. lot of these, all of these biographies of the presidents of the time, they're always riddled with, oh, and you could just walk into the White House up yes. until a certain point in the late 19th century. And it was the people's house and office seekers, as they were called, would be would be calling on the president all day, especially in the the first weeks. Yeah. Just Mm -hmm. like randos. And it's like, yeah, don't you remember my cousin was a big donor in, you know, Raleigh? Like, oh, my God, of course, there's something for you in the war department. Jesus, there's no files like it's just I mean, there are files, but it seems (laughs) so chaotic. And like the fact that government was able to function
0: literally in it's this like analog
1: world is exactly,
0: crazy it's the federal version of listen my son needs an internship for the summer
1: <laughs> <laughs> there's some,
0: way more powerful
1: there's some night soilman positions uh, available in the d in the district
0: oh if only the jobs gotta that.
1: go gotta go higher than that
0: yeah a little bit higher than that so the stalwarts love this system and one of the stalwarts who really benefits Dramatically from this system is future president Chester A. Arthur. He was, <laughs> he is the best example of an extremely unqualified, know nothing beneficiary of the soil of the spoil mm-hmm. system. Truly. Mm-hmm. He had the best paying job in the government at the time, better than the president. Cause he could, he had a salary and then he got the money that he would get on top of that mm. from running customs.
1: Oh god, yeah. Oh yeah.
0: Yeah. In New York. So I mean, and New York is everything. At
1: the customs time. house in New York is a temple of commerce.
0: A hundred percent. And the, and seriously the most coveted of positions at the time. Yeah. So uh things are contentious at this year's National Republican Convention. It is gonna be rough. <laughs> so it's between Ulysses S. Grant, as we've also mentioned before, a corruptible president. Sure. Very much fully on board with this spoils system.
1: Was not impeached, but it's not unimpeachable. Nope.
0: Uh, <laughs> and then on the other side of the aisle, you have a, a gentleman by the name of James Blaine.
1: Yeah, this yeah, is yeah, a big yeah. deal.
0: He is a big deal. And they are at a total stalemate. They are voting repeatedly, and they are deadlocked over and over again on who it's going to be. And they're so rowdy, and it's so crazy. Garfield actually gets up at the convention and gives a speech And it's like so moving and beautiful at the very end. He's like, do you want this or what do you want? And people start chanting
1: Garfield. Garfield,
0: Garfield, and he's like, "What? No, 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 no! That's not what I." <laughs> he had no intention of running; that was not his plan. Right, and he still stood up and started giving that speech. But people were like, "You know what? He is he when he started in Congress, he was much more radicalized. He was like mm-hmm. ready to just like
1: a firebrand, pound
0: the hammer." But I think yeah. once you're in politics for a certain number of years, you. You tend to either go super radical or you become moderate.
1: You have to modulate. You have yeah. to go towards the center.
0: So he was- This is the whole deal. He was moderate and was someone that both sides were like, you know what? Yeah. All right. This is a compromise candidate I think we can all stand behind. And so right. he then, while he initially resists and he says, can you force me to do this I, <laughs> against my will? He writes his wife, who he had a lovely relationship with, by the way, who's like, are you okay with this? Because <laughs> he's. That guy, yeah, um, and he go he goes ahead with it,
1: yeah. So he's the breakout star of the convention.
0: He really is. And the the other thing that I love about him is he is uh, one of the very few presidents to do what we call a front porch campaign. In mm. fact, I think he was the first where he was like, mm, I'm not traveling around. If people want to hear me speak, they can come to my house and hear me speak. Right. And that's what he did. He didn't so do refreshing. any of, like, you look at the insane campaign trails that people go on now. He was like, fuck that. <laughs>
1: and, I love that scene in Tom and John, um, John Adams. where yes. I think he's saying to, 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 to Jefferson, you're actively campaigning. You're, like, leaving. You're going from place to place. Yes. You're talking, you're talking to people about seeking office. How gauche. How gauche.
0: Yeah. And so he was just like, no. No, show me to good. my house. I got cookies. And, and people did. They flocked Aww. by the hundreds. And he had a very strong backing by major figures of the day. Um, someone who really stood up for him was Frederick Douglass. Mm-hmm. He loved him and said, This is a man who is for the black man. And right. I stand by him a hundred percent. And so, yeah, no, it was he he reached a lot of people, he was the personification of the American dream. Right, started right. from nothing, and was running for president.
1: Served, served his country. Was yeah. on the right. Was on the right side of history. Mm-hmm. Now serves his serves his people as a member of the elected bodies, and selfless, selflessly is being thrust into this position. Didn't where we ask think, for this. We think he should be the guy, and he reluctantly says, "Okay, that's very Washingtonian." I have
0: chills. I mean, really? Yeah, I no, it's it's, it's it's the kind beautiful. of
1: dedication to the public service, and I think something someone like Garfield was probably someone who also kind of believed in the, a bit of the old civic religion.
0: Oh, like, definitely. like
1: America. You can see, you know, America, some part of that means the Christian idea of that America's mm-hmm. like a promised land or a blessed country by God or favored. Mm-hmm. But there's also something to be said about just the, this is the greater good is the country. Yeah. Is yes. the, is the people in our immediate you know, yeah. area. And we love this country and its history and its mythology. I know. Which is already well-rooted at this time.
0: And people loved him. Mm. Loved him enough to elect him. Yeah. He becomes the 20th president of the United States. And it is not by a lot. It's actually by a very slim margin. Mm-hmm. Um, he, I think it's like 10,000 popular votes, which I think is still the smallest margin in history. And That's tiny. he had chosen Chester A. Arthur to be his running mate, his VP, because he was trying to appease... New York, who held a lot of sway in the vote because they had the biggest population. And so this guy, Roscoe Conkling, who basically ran New York, super Mm -hmm. corrupt, horrible, horrible man, Um, Chester was essentially... His bitch. Chester A. Arthur was his bitch. And he's the head of the Stalwarts. And he's basically like, yeah, you do me some favors after. Get the jobs Mm -hmm. that I need. Get the people in the jobs that I want. And I'll get New York for you. No problem. Right. And so he wins because of New York. He really does. I mean, not just because of New York, but
1: it was a- New York. New York is the California of, Absolutely. Of, of, of the time period. You it is the center of gravity financially mm-hmm. and in large respects, politically, in terms of the machines of New York, which is such a fascinating sub theme. Yes. New York in the in the Democratic you know history.
0: Yes. So he makes that deal. Doesn't ultimately stick to it because he's like, haha, jokes on you. I'm going to destroy the spoil system, motherfucker.
1: (laughs) Well, and because this is a big turning point. Huge. Rutherford B. Hayes was stepping out, stepping down. He was. He was was president before. And the election of 1876 is this major corrupt turning point. Well, he
0: left him with this problem. Yes because a resolution recon- one way or the, the other the
1: reconstruction issue is completely raw raw nerve when it's he's such entering a problem. when he's yeah. entering in 1881. So this is a huge moment and to have him be a honest antidote
0: likable
1: yes yeah. to to the corrupt rutherford with this dirty deal in 76. So like I said uh, I'm was, like going back in time right now. I know like, I know. Um moment what could be.
0: So yes, he was as I said the personification of the American dream. But sadly, that dream would come to a very sudden and tragic end. And now enter <sighs> Charles Gateau. <laughs> Charlie, 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 you <laughs> fucking wackadoo. Charles J. Gateau is the antithesis of Garfield. Or you could even think of him as like Bizarro Garfield, because right, he, he, has, he has the same crazy beard, <laughs> similarly piercing eyes, but like way more crazy behind crazy the eyes. Crazy eyes.
1: Crazy eyes. They were
0: probably also like a blue-green, just based on the pictures. They seem very light. they very light. Um, he was only 5'5", though, so I think he's also got some of that small man energy going on. <laughs> <It's>
1: problematic. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it doesn't have to be, but it can be. Channel it into funniness. Be a king. <laughs> Seriously. Be Don't be an assassin. Exactly. Thank you. And the other, again, him being Bizarro Garfield, where Garfield <laughs> tried it all and found massive success in pretty much anything he really did, minus falling in the canal that one time. Uh, Gato <laughs> was a chronic failure. Their one common trait, they both believed that they were bound for greatness. mm. Gatto was Destiny. born. Oh yes, Gatto was born on September eighth, eighteen forty-one, in Freeport, Illinois. Another Midwestern boy. Uh, while Garfield grew up with great love and affection, as I mentioned, from his mother after his father's death, Gatto lost his mother at a very young age and suffered tremendous abuse at the hands of his father.
1: Mm.
0: His father would both verbally and physically abuse him, beat him without mercy. Uh, his sister gives an account of. One he had a terrible stammer, and there was one day where his father was just going after him, and he would try to say something, and he'd stammer, and his father would hit him, Mm -hmm. and he'd say, "Say it again," and he would stammer again, and he'd say, "Say it again," and he'd over and over again. Like I can't imagine.
1: That drive you crazy?
0: Absolutely. And you know, we know that that level of abuse on its own can lead to some serious serious issues later on in life. Yes. But it's also pretty clear that from a very early age he was different. He suffered from some sort of illness, some sort yeah. of mental mental challenge. It's not that he wasn't intelligent, he was. Mm-hmm. It's that he was odd from a very young age. Eventually, at his trial for the assassination, his doctor said he suffered from what they called then a moral insanity. Something you could think of as like, uh, you know, uh, sociopathy today, perhaps. Uh, He described it as a person who is born with so defective a nervous organization that he is altogether deprived of that moral sense. There have been... Some theories also, and they started like fairly soon after he um, he was killed. He was hung. Uh, that he might he have been. Hanged. He's hunged, <laughs> hanged. He after was, he was hanged. after he was hanged. Hung. He might have been hung. I don't know.
1: Uh, <laughs> I don't Jolly. think he,
0: I don't think he'd be that angry if he, that was what was going on. <laughs> anyway, he. Uh, so there are some who think that he may have been uh, syphilitic. <laughs>
1: which can mess with the mind.
0: Yes, and he had contracted it from a sex worker, but considering how well Blame documented always <laughs> oh, <wait. laughs> uh, considering how well documented his erratic behavior was for so many decades, mm. it kind of debunks that because late stage syphilis, if you're that level of insane, you're dying right away.
1: And you might be 40 or 50. You might be a little bit older yeah. than that. So no. To your point, in older case.
0: No, he had always had this oddness to him. He was always kooky. People, many people were like, oh, he's eccentric or he's just different. He's right. kind of hard to talk to, you know, stuff like that. Yeah. Stuff that we see with a lot of serial killers where it's like, she was always just a little
1: different. <laughs> I think about the gentleman, um, like one of the last victims of Burke and Hare. Jamie yeah you know there's so there's like in the in this time period there's a weird accommodation of difference that does happen yeah if and it's based a lot on what where you are, who your what your community is, and what your level of functionality is. Totally. If you can hold down a job if you have people to take care of you. You're you're Boo Radley. You're just an eccentric, you know, or you're mm-hmm. someone who doesn't have resources. You're on the street. You're begging for food. You're desperate. You might just find yourself in terrible situation after terrible situation. Right. Run-ins with the law. So you know, oh, I feel for this guy though. <laughs> It's sad. It's Hang sad. on.
0: Hang on to that. It's um, sad. What happened to him is sad, but he makes his own choices. He does, regardless sure. of his uh, symptoms. Uh, but it, from a modern perspective, it is far more likely that Gatto was schizophrenic yeah, with exactly. some pretty intense narcissism. Um, there's also a neuroscientist, Kent Keel, who assessed him sort of retrospectively and uh, believes that he is a clinical psychopath, lacking a lot of uh, feeling in some ways. But yeah, it's he's a complicated profile.
1: He's rejecting the ordered world that Garfield worships, the society, the, the order of things, law.
0: It's not even that. Well, we'll get into it. We'll the moral about, order. We'll talk know. about his motivations and why I think he's schizophrenic. Sure. <laughs> um, either way. Whatever's going on, he is without question incredibly delusional, especially when it comes to his own potential and what he felt he deserved. Mm. He thought, like I said, he thought he was special. Right. I think in his own mind, he was like, I know I'm different, but he didn't think of it as I'm different in a bad way. I'm different in that I'm fucking special. I'm better than you. Which is scary. Uh some of his failed ventures included he was a college dropout. Again, antithesis of Garfield, a college president. Underachiever. Mm-hmm. Couldn't, never was prepared for tests. <laughs> Terrible. Uh, he was in a free love utopian religious group called the Oneida Community in upstate New York.
1: We love the Oneidas.
0: In five years there, he never really connected with anyone. Can you imagine being in a fucking sex cult and no one wants to fuck
1: you? Oh, so rough. That's bad. Poor if, guy. If 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 John Humphrey Noise can't fix you, um, you you sanitarium is the next choice, and usually they're right next door to the United Community. So they get on
0: straight up did a play on his name and called him Charlie. Get out.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Neat ass the- Christians. Now they. <laughs> Really, 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 uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Heady. Uh, um.
0: Other not achievements. He passed the bar, but failed as a lawyer because he was embezzling funds from bill collecting. It's like one for you. One, two, three for me. <laughs> two for you. One, two, three, four for me. Uh, he beat his wife, who demanded a divorce. So he said, all right, I'm going to have sex with this sex worker. And then we can get our divorce. He was a problem solver. Okay? You got to have cause.
1: got to have cause. <laughs>
0: exactly. You're welcome, wife. <laughs> he starts his own religion and is a preacher. He's writing books that he literally has plagiarized from our buddy up in all night. <laughs> he just has endless phony quack business ventures. So
1: he ripped off noise to create his own religion.
0: Completely ripped off noise, oh word God. for word, in his wow. book that I think is just called The Truth. Or something stupid. Sounds like about
1: that. right. A tract, a Bible tract. Yeah, yeah, he
0: loved unsubstantiated lawsuits against people who he felt had wronged him. He tried to sue the cult. He was always trying to make a quick buck,
1: mm-hmm. always trying
0: to find his greatness. Right. Right.
1: Um.
0: He, but he's at the end of the day, he was a fucking charlatan, and he had a scary temper. By 1880, Gautreau no longer had family or friends. His father thought he was possessed by the devil. His own sister, who had been a champion of his, who tried to help him over and over again, she stopped speaking to him because he threatened her with an axe. So what does Charlie do? He gets into politics. (laughs) (laughs) He has now decided that he is intensely pro-Republican and helps in a less than minor way during uh, the Garfield campaign. He creates a pamphlet. Wants to do some public speaking. No one gives a shit about him. But he believes in his mind he has played a major role in getting Garfield elected. And here's where that spoil system really becomes a huge problem. Yep. In his twisted mind, he really believes that he will get exactly what he asks for if he contributes to this campaign. And why shouldn't he? There's certainly precedent, right? Right. He did the right thing. He paid to enter. He did. Once Garfield is elected, he begins writing numerous letters. Shows up regularly on that line, like Luke talked about. He's there all the fucking time. (laughs) He actually meets Garfield once, I believe. Uh, Possibly more. I don't. I don't know. But um, Garfield's basically like, "Oh, look into it," (laughs) but not like you know, being polite and shuffling him along.
1: Yes, we'll call you.
0: Because God knows how he came off in those meetings. At this point, he is destitute. He probably looked fucking insane. Stinks. Yeah, he probably smells. His co- his clothes are like ragged. He's yeah. living in D.C. in the winter. I mean, he's not good. He's not doing well. <laughs> <laughs> and he has serious untreated mental illness. Yeah. Yeah. So, he uh, he says in one of his letters... On the principle of first come first served, I have faith that you will give this application favorable consideration. And he initially requests a posting as ambassador to Austria but mm. the individual who has that role decides they're going to stay. Things get shifted around. And Blaine, who is, has become the secretary of state, basically says, oh, sorry, it's not going to work out. And he's like, oh, that's fine. You can just send me to Paris. I'll take Paris.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Minister of Plenipotentiary to Paris. Uh, yeah, no, no. I'll,
0: t- I'll go to Paris. I mean, fuck. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> <else? laughs> what so he continues, of course, to be ignored and eye-rolled at, I'm sure. Yeah. And this, the fact that Garfield himself was ignoring him very much, he said it injured him, greatly. offended
1: him deeply. Yes, yeah. injured
0: him greatly, I believe, are the words that he used. Wow. On May 14th, 1881, he encounters Blaine just on the street, I think, um, if I'm not mistaken. And he is again badgering him about this position. And James Blaine loses it on him and he says, never bother me again about the Paris consulship as long as you live and walks away from him.
1: That's pretty final.
0: And that is the moment he decides that Garfield has to die. That is the only way for him to get a job is if Blaine is removed then he will get this position, right? And VP, Chester A. Arthur, will become president. And of course, he hates Blaine. So yeah, he'll kick him out right away. And he'll be so (laughs) grateful that I did this for him that he will give me this job and I will be ambassador to France. It's the
1: perfect plan. (laughs) Problem solver, like you said. I know. Makes sense.
0: So yeah, he's cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. Um, Mm. Yeah. And he... Eventually, start saying that this wasn't his idea. This was from God. Uh-huh. This was his destiny. That God spoke to him directly, informing him that this was a necessary removal. It was not called a murder, it was not called an assassination, it was a removal so that God's will shall
1: come to pass. Thank you, Lordy.
0: <laughs> Thanks, God. <laughs> so armed with the Lord's might blessing. Yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> There's a line. So for those of you that don't know, I'm always going to reference musical theater. One of my favorite musicals is assassins yes. and they cover uh, Charles Gateau in that. And he sings a song. Uh, that I'll talk a little bit more about later but there's a lyric in it that he says god god's my employer now he's my lawyer so do what you dare
1: <laughs> and the <Which> lyric <laughs> could honestly be any of those bastards on January 6th
0: truly um and then but then it goes to later where he's like but god was acquitted and charlie committed
1: <laughs> it's <laughs> so comic in the show it's so good
0: it's a very very good song so well performed um but anyway so Again, armed with the Lord at his side. He buys a 442 Webley caliber British Bulldog revolver with ivory grips. And he chose ivory grips over the wooden handle one that was in the store because he knew that it would just look great in
1: a museum. You know it would look fly? If you kill a president with an ivory handled pistol.
0: Yeah. Like he is really thinking about the amazing long-term effects of this. He
1: can't Hopefully. wait for the morbid museum to be built.
0: This yeah. is his, he finally figured out <laughs> what will make him great. This is supposed to be his great act. He's very sick. He's yeah. very, very sick. By the way, photographs of the gun do exist, but it's current whereabouts are unknown to this Spooky. day. Spooky. I know. I'm imagining some dick bag has that in his basement or something. <laughs> <laughs> It was last seen at the turn of the century, apparently. Anyway, so Ghetto begins stalking Garfield and he chickens out repeatedly. He's like, gonna mm-hmm. do it. But then it was like, oh, bad opportunity, not the right moment. And then every now and then he'd have like a little bit of an attack of conscience. Like there was one when he was, he knew he was getting on a train to go see his wife and he was like, well, I don't want to set Mrs. Garfield. That's not nice. I'm not gonna do it now. <laughs> so it's so, so cinematic well this is where also like the the you can't argue that he doesn't know right from wrong right because he knows that he's going to hurt people in yes. the process he's he having doesn't...
1: pangs of guilt
0: yeah or at least like a sense that oh people are going to be some people are going to be mad but
1: mm-hmm. i think most
0: people are going to be cool with
1: this <laughs> yeah i'll get what i want in the end right disrupt the history of the country but
0: and i will ultimately be a hero for this i know it
1: i know and I will... i'll get away with it because yeah. there's a good history of that
0: totes uh, Yeah. So (laughs) he finally sees the perfect opportunity written in the newspaper. On July 2nd, 1881, he finds out that the president will be at the Baltimore and Potomac Railroad Station, where he will be headed to Long Branch, New Jersey, for a family beach vacation. His family is already there and he will be joining them. Now, just think of what I just said. The newspaper is reporting in great detail the whereabouts and travel fucking plans of the president very, to
1: the to common. the
0: minute. Very basically. common in the time. He has also zero security detail, which may seem nuts to us because Lincoln was Lincoln assassinated. Was and we have the
1: secret service now yeah
0: not that long ago it's eight that was 1865 this is 1880 what the fuck is going on here's what was going on people thought that was a terrible one-off in the heat of war a Mm -hmm. torn country this was you know booth had the might of the south behind him he believed he was right There's no such cause like that at the moment. Who would kill the president? We don't work like that. In this country, you don't like your leader? They're gone in four years anyway. No reason to kill them.
1: Right. It's that assumptive world that guides all of our our day-to-day activities. Things will not happen. That would never happen. happen. Nothing's going to happen. It happened once. not going to happen again.
0: And it's so sad that... In America, we learn things the hard way <laughs> yeah. many times over. Uh, so regardless of the fact that the country was at relative peace, the president absolutely needed protection. Charles Gateau sees Garfield, who is talking with Blaine, who had accompanied him, see him off at the station. He then shoots twice from behind, once in Garfield's arm and the second shot pierced through the first lumbar vertebrae. Just missing his spinal cord. Mm. And he he, I think Garfield shouts like, I'm dead, because he felt the pain like instantly. Yeah. It must have been excruciating to get hit in the back like that. Gateau surrenders to the authorities, he's caught, and he shouts, I am a stalwart of the stalwarts. Arthur is president now. <laughs> and so dramatic. And immediately people are like, huh? <laughs> Arthur, what do you know about this? And he's like, I don't know shit. I don't know who <laughs>
1: this guy is. I don't want to be. all your fault. He's
0: like, I don't want to be president.
1: I didn't ask for this. <laughs> I just got my sideburns going. Oh, those choppy
0: chops. The choppiest. <laughs> Best facial hair of any president.
1: Pretty <laughs> damn, pretty damn, yeah. Pretty big damn
0: statement. impressive. Obviously, now it's chaos at the train station. There were actually many members of his cabinet there at the time uh, who were seeing him off, and including Mr. Robert... Todd Lincoln.
1: The sexiest.
0: The saddest. I've actually decided, Luke, I, and I would like you to co author this with me if you're interested. I want to write a book, a history book about this conspiracy that I have that it was actually Robert Todd Lincoln that assassinated his father, Garfield, and McKinley, because he is the common thread. In all of these assassinations. <laughs> Why the seems... fuck was he always there? Why was he always there, he,
1: Luke? He pops up. He pops up again and again. Why and... was he there?
0: Why were his siblings dying? What was going on? Why did he lock his mother in the madhouse? Was it because she knew too much? <laughs> Thank
1: you. <laughs> I mean, the train station, we know that Robert T. Lincoln was involved with the Pullman Train Company. So, like, he made money off the Lincoln, the Lincoln funeral train. How he far was dying this
0: go? <laughs> i asked you anyway look out for that 2025 great <laughs> accepting title suggestions anyway back to poor garfield he's dying right now uh he is taken on oh, slowly he is taken on a mattress upstairs to a private office where immediately like i don't know what was going on in this railway station but everyone's like i'm a doctor i'm a doctor i'm a doctor i'm a doctor i'll go upstairs and check him out there's a shitload of doctors there no no and- It's so bad, Uh, including one, Dr. Willard Bliss, who actually knew Garfield. He and these other doctors immediately start putting their fucking unwashed fingers and dirty instruments in the bullet holes. In his back, yeah. They are fishing around to try to get the bullet out, which, of course, was the practice of the day if you're shot with a bullet. First things first, get the bullet the
1: get fuck the project, out of him. get the projectile out of your body.
0: That's what they thought was what you had to do, right? So uh, they can't get it out. <laughs> no, 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 absolutely not. So Garfield, at his request, is like, "I, I stop poking me. I want to go back to the White House. I want you to fetch my wife. I, I'm, I'm gonna die." And, and everybody thought he's a fucking goner. Yeah, I think even Bliss told him like the chances are one in 100 that you survive the night. But he lives. Mm. He lives through the night. Amazingly. Remarkably. So, you know, <laughs> meanwhile, Vice President Arthur's sitting there like, what's going on? What are we doing? What's happening right now? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, he actually, it was so bad that he is receiving death threats right. because of what Coteau said. They're like, you, you are behind this. You paid him because he's also known to be corrupt.
1: Yes. Yeah. And this is the great, Savior of the union who is undone by a corrupt bargain with an assassin.
0: Yeah. So it plays really well, but there is no
1: No no evidence evidence
0: of this. No, No. Coteau is a fucking nut Just a kook. No, no, no. no, A lone kook. A lone kook. Yes, sadly. Yeah. So within those first 24 hours, upwards of 12 doctors had been there to treat Garfield. Too many cooks. But Dr. Bliss is like, listen, I'm in charge here. I was the first one here. I'm going to be the last one here. Uh And he's kind of continuously shuffling people off and he contacts all the doctors. The president has decided that I will be his physician from this point on and your services are no longer required. President
1: Garfield never said that. Of course not. Son of a bitch. Nope. And was he a glory hog?
0: Well, here's the thing. Given his track record as a doctor, he has tons of experience in the field treating bullet wounds Mm. so it's understandable why there wouldn't be a lot of pushback initially even though it's so fucking odd even for like a lay person at that time to not have other possible doctors to talk to when you can't find the bullet right away. Like there's options. You know what I mean? There's nothing
1: systematic about this. And this is before we have a white house doctor, white house physicians, right?
0: Oh yeah. So this, this is really what seals Garfield's fate because Dr. Bliss has zero interest in listening to anyone else and potential treatment plans. Worst of all, He is not a doctor that was interested in the latest innovations in medicine, which when you have a president who's dying and and it's looking bad, you got to throw some fucking Hail Mary passes. And he didn't care. Mm -hmm. Like many of the doctors we spoke about in our previous episode, um, Bliss did not believe in germ theory. 16 years prior to this is when Joseph Lister, who I mentioned in our operating theater episode, um, he had begun his work on anti- antiseptics. Right. And it was being widely used at this point in Europe. And doctors in America had learned of it. And some of them were like, yeah, this makes sense that infections have been reduced dramatically. We'll, we'll start doing this. But it was mostly more holistic doctors, which is so funny, because people think of them as the more like woo woo out there people, but they mm-hmm. were the ones who were like, wash your fucking wash your hands. hands first step because holistic meaning like natural Mm -hmm. cleanly that's Mm. the whole idea behind it at that time and bliss wanted none of it because he had kind of fallen prey to some holistic stuff at some point and it tarnished his reputation so he was like absolutely not i know what i'm doing um but he does everything wrong he does everything wrong he's giving the president foods that are too rich they ultimately nauseate him and he's vomiting a lot he really can't eat. He is then, in response, feeding him rectally, No, which is not great. He's giving him constant, regular doses of morphine, laudanum, and alcohol, mm. which, of course, is making his body weaker. It's fucking up his organs that are fighting to stay alive. Mm. And what's so interesting is that while initially – It seems like he's feeling somewhat better in those first 24 hours. He's having some improvements. It's pretty clear that the wound does not look good. Right. Because Mm -hmm. all of that poking and prodding has been happening. And at some point, it looks so bad and inflamed. It's oozing pus. And Dr. Bliss simply says, oh, this is such good news. His condition is improving. It's all, it's all leaving his system. This is exactly mm-hmm. what we want to see, mm. which is like, <laughs> what?
1: <laughs> the body's pushing the bullet out, girl. It's going to come <laughs> right out in a couple minutes. It's going to be fine.
0: Meanwhile, the reason that it's oozing is because all of those probing fucking fingers and instruments had basically just been digging a deep hole, a perfect pathway for bacteria to come into his body constantly
1: right just open
0: yeah so by the end of july he is doing really badly he has very clear signs of septicemia or septic septic, septic blood yeah, which is bad. just not good he I is suffering from that. oh yeah he's suffering from chills fevers delirium he is incredibly ill and so dr bliss says well the best thing for this is everyone needs to go away family get out of here Evil. Get him in a room where there's no windows. He needs total rest, no contact with anyone at all. <laughs> like, what? <laughs> yeah. Cause when I'm really sick, I definitely don't want my family near me to cheer me up and make me feel better. Right. Right. Yeah. And the worst thing, possibly. It's I think that putting his finger in the hole is the worst thing, but <laughs> possibly secondary to the worst thing is he is talking to the press. He's the only one filtering information about his condition, and he is making it sound like he's doing fucking great.
1: Right, of course.
0: He's lying and lying. It's horrible. Terrible. So he's he knows it's going badly, and he must have been mm-hmm. terrified, but rather than seek further assistance and be like, all right, I think my hubris got the better of me, he just keeps <laughs>
1: literally burrowing deeper. <laughs> So he never gets an, he never gets a glove. He never gets a cauter or a, uh, a sanitized instrument. It's just digging, digging, and the and the bullet stays. The stay bullet's just chilling in there. This is an
0: incredibly cool part of this story. Although it's like mega facepalm moment, so prepare yourself. This was obviously a huge deal. <laughs> People are freaking the fuck out that the president is. Better, dying, better, dying, dying, better. What's going on?
1: Yes, it's so tumultuous with the media. Far and
0: wide, people want to help. People are sending letters and Mm -hmm. food to the family. I mean, it's the outpouring of love and emotion is gorgeous. But then there's people who are like, I want to offer some sort of practical help. Mm -hmm. So Alexander Graham Bell, who was this amazing, sexy, young inventor, is like, I think I've got an idea. (laughs) (laughs) he invents a contraption that he believes can locate the bullet inside the president right it is the first metal detector you guys isn't that isn't that cool it's so cool so yeah so because he's he may have an answer here people are like he's getting access even though bliss let no one have access to the president he basically fights his way into that room and he's like fine he's like but i'm doing it I'm going to hold the instrument over him and we're only doing it on the right side. Cause that's the side that the bullet is on or that's the side that bliss thinks the bullet is on. Oh my God. So of course they run the instrument over him and bell is listening. And he's like, I, I hear it faintly, but something must be wrong. Maybe it's the springs in the mattress are interfering right. with the signal. It's I, I don't know what's going on. Um, but Dr. Bliss says, but you hear something. He was like, well, yes, I hear something. He says, well, that's it we found it. It's exactly where I said it was. And he tells the press that. He said his instrument is genius. It works. And it proves my point perfectly. We just can't quite get it out. But it's exactly where I think it is.
1: Yeah. So like childish.
0: Yes. And he says, Uh, It is unanimously, these are the exact words, it is unanimously agreed that the location of the ball has been ascertained and reasonable certainty and that it lies as heretofore stated in the front wall of the abdomen immediately over the groin about five inches below and to the right of the navel. Mm -hmm. No, it ain't. (laughs)
1: Oh my God.
0: Where is it? It is only when the autopsy happens that they realize the bullet had basically flown through the right, right side and landed behind his pancreas on the left.
1: Mm, on a diagonal, yeah. yeah. Ooh, did it move a lot or no?
0: Well yeah uh, basically it so I think I mentioned earlier it goes through his lumbar, right? His spine
1: and yeah.
0: pass, passes going to the left. So it's essentially yeah moving on a diagonal and kind right. of gets tucked under under his pancreas ever so gently and sweetly, causing no damage to the organ itself.
1: Mm-hmm. And as far as we know, with all the moving and everything, it kind of stays somewhat in the same space.
0: Probably, yeah.
1: Wow. I think it yeah. was really it's in launched. there. It's just deep. Yeah. It's a, a deep, as deep as you can go into someone.
0: Yeah. So we'll come back to the autopsy and kind of lessons learned in a little bit. Garfield had a cousin who was a doctor, Dr. Silas Boynton, and he's been called upon by the family. They're like, hey, just go and see what's going on. And he's a doctor, observed- yeah. And he's been observing what's going on. He himself is a holistic doctor. So he knows about Lister's methods and he walks in that room and he's like, what the fuck is happening? Mm -hmm. (laughs) He is shocked. And above all else, he is shocked at the fact that he will not allow other doctors to be part of this. Right. And he tells papers that it is outrageous that this is subpar care Mm. that even for that day and age, he was like, this is below standard
1: for the president. Awful.
0: Which, Yeah. For the fucking president. It goes against medi- medical ethics. Yeah. It's it's terrible. This fuckface face is just the fucking worst. He wants the glory. He wants to, to, to make be a the name guy. for himself. Yeah. He wants to be the guy that saved the president. Maybe then he is brought on to be the physician to the president. Like well, at a certain point, teaching. he's got to
1: know this guy is not going to make it. I mean, he's already miraculously clung on so long. He must have been so blinded. I would honestly, I can't believe he didn't like kill
0: himself or something because the shame of all of this at the end is so
1: self serving, it's yeah. evil. Yeah. It is evil. I mean, playing it with is. the emotions of the country because the, the country had been through the trauma of Lincoln so or so soon before. I know,
0: yeah. So, even with. The press sort of catching wise to things mm-hmm. things don't seem quite right
1: despite the nothing, point in expose.
0: yeah nothing really changes and he just continues to deteriorate and by the end of this horrible painful summer which by the way we talked about this before summer in dc is horrible they had yes. some version of air conditioning for him where they basically had a fan blowing on ice
1: mm-hmm.
0: but he was like he was suffering so immensely in so many ways that he knows he's dying. He does. He, I, I, th- I think most people know when the end is pretty much there. And so on September 6th, 1881, President Garfield says, enough. Mm-hmm. I want to go be with my family. Take me to the Jersey Shore, where he was supposed to go in the first place, which is so sad. Um, make this happen. I'm not asking you. I'm telling you. Right. They take his bed and put his bed on a train and they build track specifically to get him where he needs to go and this i'm gonna try not to get emotional because this is beautiful (sighs) word spreads of his journey and 2,000 volunteers laid track to the door of the cottage so beautiful it becomes stuck at one point (laughs) and people pushed it home with their bare hands
1: to get the rest
0: of the way there that is so
1: that where is this movie I don't know. Where is this? Why is this movie? Steven Spielberg, Tom Hanks. Why has this not happened yet? Because the emotionality of this is so powerful.
0: There's a beautiful, beautifully done PBS documentary that came out in 2016. Um, Oh, what was it called? I watched it. It's called like uh, the murder of a president Mm -hmm. and it's about this. And they show this scene and it's so beautiful and emotional Mm -hmm. and, um, a actor that I love, Shuler Hensley. Do you know who he is? He's a theater actor. Yeah. Big, big guy. He's got a big baritone voice. Perfect likeness for him. He's so good in it. And I, I recommend it to anyone. It's an excellent, it's kind of it's like that real actors, good actors playing the parts while also there's the talking heads happening. But yes. it's done really well. Pseudo
1: reenactment, pseudo narrated. Yeah. Exactly,
0: yeah, yeah. But it's done really well. So yeah, if you want to nice. cry a bunch, watch that documentary. It's beautiful. Um, <laughs> so he gets there and it is there in a friend's cottage in new jersey surrounded by his family at 10:30 p.m. on september 18th the president draws his final breath and that the country last. is fucking bereft it's awful it's so painful and it's it's so senseless you know it just it doesn't it literally doesn't make sense because he's so liked mm-hmm. <laughs> sure he doesn't win by like a lot but this isn't a situation where people are ready for him to die. You know, he's the so strong. Are not the same as He's so
1: strong, and people are like, it's like any other terrible thing you're living through. You know, it's like you yeah. know miners my, my trapped in somewhere, or Ugh. you know astronauts go missing. All that anyone can say for those hours or days in the modern era, I hope they make it. They just they have to make it. They have to come back. The positive oh. the story needs to end. And he's so strong. He survives this odyssey of medical mal- mal- mispractice mal- malpractice I know and harm and they're probably just saying eh, this doctor may suck but he's gonna make it right Jimmy's gonna make it oh <sighs> <sighs> so sad I know and poor Lucretia and his
0: rest of his beautiful family are given so much love by the public they send them letters and adorations flowers I mean mm. it's it's so it's so lovely it really mm-hmm. is um Immediately, they're like, all right, let's open him up and see what the fuck happened. Right. So getting back to the autopsy, they open him up. And of course, they immediately find the bullet. And they're all like, what? (laughs) You said it was the right side. (laughs) There it is, all cute, taking a nap behind the pancreas, minding its business. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, there's this this long, gross, infection. Dirty trail, dirty trail going to (laughs) nowhere,
1: just go through tissue. And
0: (laughs) And as they open him up more and more and forgive me, folks, this is disgusting. Yeah. He is overflowing with infection.
1: Oh, God.
0: He it is disgusting. I can't even imagine what this looked like. It's everywhere. He has infection-induced pneumonia in both lungs. Wow. I mean, he was fucking so he can, sick.
1: He can barely breathe.
0: No, no. And I think the the final death knell was um I forget if it was maybe in his liver, mm. but there was essentially like a blood clot that like burst yeah and that and he actually clutched his chest in that moment and it was part of like his last words he was like oh my god this Mm. is it and so that's that's technically the Mm. the dying moment oh it's awful but i mean his body couldn't survive any longer it's amazing he survived that fucking long he is a tank like seriously Mm. amazing amazing man in many ways and what's really really devastating about this is it's not just that they could have washed their hands, it's that they didn't even need to take the bullet out in the first fucking place. They didn't need to fuck with it even once. Not once. He could have lived with it. People Mm. lived with bullets in them.
1: Sure. Sure.
0: (laughs) People still live with bullets in them. (sighs) Yeah. Yeah. And it's probably why he improved after being shot because it was just kind of sitting in this one spot. And it was before infection had set in, so it was like, all right, I guess I'm just going to be kind of – this spot's probably always going to hurt a little bit. I'm always going to have compromi- some
1: – Yeah. It's not yeah. compromising any organs. It's not tearing yeah. into anything. There's it's, a lot of places. probably would have had
0: – Yeah. I mean, I, 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 think, yeah. I think he might have had – debilitating back problems for the rest of his life, maybe even loss of the function of his legs to some extent, but that didn't stop some of our other presidents.
1: No, he could have gone on to great things, Garfield.
0: Yeah. So Dr. Bliss obviously is ruined in this town. Yes. And
1: his comeuppance, they run him out of town on a rail. He's canceled. He he was destroyed in the press. He's the most canceled person (laughs) in history. Uh,
0: Yeah. Wrong, lying, wrong. So, so, Let's cut to Gato, who has been hanging in jail. While the president is dying, Gato is sitting there thinking that any minute now, Tester A. Arthur and all the Star Wars are going to come <laughs> busting in and being like, Yay! Thank you! Okay, go to France now, you crazy kid! You're the best!
1: Oh my god. <laughs> yeah,
0: He's so deluded that he told the papers repeatedly that he did this to unify the Republican Party. I did this for you guys. I did this for all of us. This was what was in the best interest of the Republican Party and ultimately the fucking nation. You're welcome.
1: Sounds a lot like John Most Booth.
0: A bit, yes. A little bit. Initially, because his rantings, you know, there's this Arthur suspicion, but very quickly, like I said, the more they talk to him, the more that the police interview him and they yeah. hear him rambling and talking, they're like, oh, oh, no. Oh, he
1: thinks that about everybody. Okay. yeah.
0: <laughs> oh, uh-huh. oh, he ain't okay. Right. Oh,
1: he, <laughs> he thinks Arthur's in on
0: it and Jesus. Oh, <laughs> oh dear. Okay. Oh, we got to
1: revisit this conspiracy. Oh, okay. All right.
0: So after Garfield's death, he is officially formally indicted on October 14th, 1881 on the charge of murder, obviously bumped up from attempted murder. Uh, His trial starts in November and doesn't end until January 25th. It went on for a long time, Mm. right? It's crazy. You would think the fucking open and closed.
1: Open and shut. But I
0: think part of it was it was a real fucking show Mm. (laughs) because like any true megalomaniac, insane, narcissistic, sociopath, psychopath, schizophrenic, first and foremost, I'm gonna be my own lawyer, and they're like, "No, no, 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 no." Oh not, God! Not, 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 not. <laughs> so the person who had been assigned him was like, "Okay, yeah, no, I'm out." <laughs> and he couldn't, he couldn't get lawyers to stay with him because he kept saying, "You can say I was insane at the time, but I am not
1: right. insane." Oh my God! And temporary insanity is not really picking no, up. This is
0: one of the first, if not the right. first high profile case where they tried to put forth the temporary insanity defense.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So the public is not really primed for it. You know, it's like, that's the thing. It's like, it's on but he, the edge.
0: But he's also, he will not act the part. He refuses no. to be crazy, even though he's so blatantly crazy. crazy. When you're right. so crazy that you won't say
1: you're crazy, you're really fucking crazy. Right. So he's not competent. That's the problem.
0: He's nuts in court. He is cursing at the judges, the jury. Mm -hmm. He's ranting and raving, saying all kinds of crazy shit. He talks to the press, smiles, waves at them. He's acting like he's having the time of his fucking life in the courtroom. Sure. People must have been appalled by this, you know? Yeah. Yeah, no, no, no. And he doesn't think that people hate him, even though he has been shot at twice (laughs) in his jail cell somebody saw his like figure and tried to shoot him (laughs) and he's still like oh you crazy kids you're welcome
1: where's jack ruby when you need him
0: (laughs) seriously
1: (laughs) (laughs) save us all some print
0: okay (laughs) oh god my favorite moment in the court which is kind of one of my you know thesis points in this episode. Not that I want to agree with anything that he says, but he says, the doctors killed Garfield. I just shot him.
1: (laughs) Which, hats off to you. Good defense. (laughs) Great. You should also submit a proof of the Pythagorean Theon Water at it, okay?
0: (laughs) Good logic. I think today that doctor would actually go to prison.
1: Absolutely. Without question. The negligence. serious,
0: Serious negligence, malpractice,
1: yeah, but, like you were saying, like you couldn't get away with like not having a second opinion today. and just like the like again, the oh, way the government no. is so built up, like talk about Kennedy having eighteen doctors that he's like <laughs> he's no manipulating to get different drugs yeah. from. No but, like, they would and all also, be like,
0: okay, he's dying. And also, you know, uh, as a wife being able to advocate far better now than then,
1: mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. having more
0: of a say in the care.
1: Having more autonomy in your care, right? And like, you yeah. Know, thankfully, Garfield's granted a moment of grace where he asks politely to die with yeah. no more interference, right? Lucretia yeah. could have been involved way earlier as he Absolutely. requested when he first goes down. Get
0: I wife. can't imagine someone being like, "Listen, you're gonna have to leave. You can't stay with him anymore." And be like, "Bitch, you're gonna have yeah. to leave." <laughs>
1: you can try this with Mary Todd, not with me, honey. Okay. Not with Lucretia, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> Live, laugh, Lucretia. Lucretia, okay? don't Get do the that. Get out of my way. <laughs> I want a shirt that says live, live laugh, laugh, Lucretia.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, bless her heart. Bless her
1: widowed heart.
0: Oh, beautiful lady. Um, <laughs> what's so interesting about the public opinion at the time is that it seemed even though anyone and everyone who talked to him knew he was fucking out of his mind, no one cared they wanted him dead, because he shot the fucking president. <laughs> Whereas today, you know, we figure out insanity defenses, things like that, you know, um, there was just no question that he was going mm-hmm. to die. He was going to die, he was going to get a death sentence. And here's the thing, unlike Booth, who at least represented that like hatred in half of the country, where half of the country was kind of rejoicing in, Absolutely. Death, you know, His motives were entirely selfish, and no one was really happy that he was dead, including, like I said, (laughs) chester A. Arthur. Least of all. And and that's the thing. No one wanted that guy to be president, so this was devastating.
1: (laughs) Not good. No No one wins.
0: So ultimately, of course, the jury finds him guilty, and he's sentenced to hang. And I got to say, I never go to an execution. I am so against the death penalty. But if I was going to make an exception, this was the one to go to, oh guys.
1: Oh god. This is
0: a sh- It's a three-ring fucking circus. Mm-hmm. I mean, really, a maniac to the very end. He famously smiles and waves at everybody <laughs> as he's just walking along. He starts dancing his way oh. to the gallows. Okay. He's doing the cake cakewalk, famous dance at the time. <laughs> Having a good old time. He shakes the hand of the executioner. Real class act. And then he gives a speech about how the Lord will punish all of them. That <laughs> He uh,
1: sings a song to the assassins.
0: <laughs> yes, he says President Arthur is a coward and an ingrate. <laughs> and as his last request, he says, I'm going to recite a poem I wrote at 1030 this morning called I am going to the Lordy. And this mm. is mm-hmm. uh, this poem is Stephen Sondheim wrote the song that Gato does in assassins based on yes, words from this around poem. the poem. Yes. Yeah, so I am going to the Lordy. It's brilliant. Really brilliant writing. If you mm. have never listened to the song or seen a clip from it, wildly entertaining and probably pretty much exactly what this was like because he had actually requested an orchestra to play as he sang the poem
1: (laughs) in the key of E let's go weirdly (laughs) enough they said no (laughs) (laughs) we're good no no you can have have your mashed potatoes but you know we're going to kill you now
0: (laughs) you're done and he drops the paper and I guess that signaled to the hangman to drop it on the head Drop him, drop him like he's hot. Yeah. And he is hanged on June 30th, 1882, in the District of Columbia, just two days before the one year anniversary of the shooting.
1: What an ordeal. What an ordeal. A year long ordeal. This or whole thing. All horrible. Said
0: the country just must have been in agony. I, I really I can't imagine. Awful. One of the most ironic parts of all of this is that he shot Garfield to obtain a job through the spoil system, right? But the the act is so disturbing to the general public, it causes this even more so than before. And it already was a hot bed of contention, right? Yeah. Um, they are crying more so than ever, like, the spoil system has to go. This is what happens. Okay? This needs to end. And yep. despite the fact that Chester A. Arthur is without question one of the biggest benefactors of this system of all time... He is the one who pushes through the first legislation to reform civil service reform via the Pendleton Act of 1883 mm. Finally, all right a step in the right direction. absolutely. yeah.
1: what cost? <sighs> The That's loss. it. The fo- the, like you say, the focusing event. I know. It's a focusing event that it's brings our attention event. to a problem. And there's sometimes convenient solutions to those problems or ways to subvert future things like that from happening. And this is one of them, that yeah. you know, people are just trying to get offices and creating these inflated expectations and creating hurt feelings. There needs to be an equitable system. How revolutionary. Imagine
0: that. <laughs> so I'll kind of end by simply saying... The loss of Garfield is honestly difficult to quantify because we'll just never know, you know. But the immediate aftermath was, of course, heartbreaking. He had been an inspiration for immigrants and Black workers who were trying to survive the unbearable inequities of the Gilded Age. He was a ray of hope that one did not have to be trapped in their circumstances forever. He believed in equality of opportunity for all, especially in education. He had plans to do serious education reform, for black people, because mm-hmm. he felt that they would be the poor class till the end of time if we could not improve
1: education system for them, which is mm-hmm. so, ugh. so enlightened. <laughs> I so want to beat my head
0: against this desk right now.
1: <laughs> yeah,
0: <sighs> he would have fought for so much to make this country a better place during a time of incredible disparity between the classes and it's heartbreaking that we'll never know what could have been. And for me, it's hard to say he's one of my pre- favorite presidents. Cause I really don't know what he could no. have done, but I, I have to agree that more likely than not, he would have been one of my favorite presidents. I'm going to cry
1: <laughs> so much. <laughs> so much potential. <gasps> and it's a real <laughs> gut punch to have lived through the killing of, of Lincoln and Garfield, because through Lincoln's death, we get the botched beginning of Reconstruction Through Garfield's death. We get the final death of a possibility of a redeemed Reconstruction, the potential because the Dixiecrats yeah. have taken power. They've kicked out all the people who are elected into office, people who are people of color who are elected into positions. Voting rights are on the table. Jim Crow laws are up. The KKK is about to be really born like this is a really fraught period. And one can't help but think of, oh my God, what if? Because this guy was the 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 difference to the corrupt bargain.
0: Because and once yeah. again, and we'll see this again and yeah. again and again, a madman got his hands on a
1: fucking gun. Yeah, and we can't possibly balance Guto and Garfield, even though Garfield's didn't really get to do much. Even and when he got to the office, he, what a what a what a great human. And Gatto. Yeah, he started.
0: He started. Gatto could moves. never
1: balance that out. Gatto could never no. balance that out. You know, in there's no, there's nothing Gatto could ever say or do, especially how performative he was. That could possibly make sense. <laughs> I mean, he could put equalized. on a show, but otherwise, he could put on a great show. But yeah, beyond the peanut gallery, he could not equalize the the loss and the possibility of what if. Yeah. And you know, another thing is like get your VPs in line, y'all. Make sure Ugh. you got a good VP. Do get not get a good VP.
0: This is why. <laughs> When certain people make VP decisions.
1: It's very important.
0: You got to pay attention.
1: It's very important. (laughs)
0: Pay the fuck attention. Don't pick a Sarah Palin. People won't vote for you.
1: (laughs) That's it. That's it. Because these guys don't always make it. So let's always keep that in mind. We don't want that to happen. But it could happen.
0: It can happen.
1: A heartbeat away, as they say.
0: So on to, uh, I guess, nicer things. (laughs) So many opportunities to learn more about James A. Garfield, the best, of course, being uh, the National Historic Site located in Mentor, Ohio. Uh, The site preserves the Lawnfield Estate and the surrounding property of James Garfield and includes the first presidential library ever established. His beautiful, brilliant, amazing wife is behind that, by and large. Mm -hmm. We have her to thank for presidential libraries. Isn't that awesome? Awesome. Thanks, yes. Lucretia. Live, love, <laughs> Lucretia. That's <laughs> um, right. If you go to the home, it it is sort of as it was. And mm-hmm. this is an incredible number that I didn't know. 80% of the artifacts are original to the home.
1: That's high for historic That's
0: house. That's high. Yeah. Um, and there's amazing things there, too, uh, including the bed that he was in on the train, Back to the house. Mm. Isn't that wild? Like the oh the feeling. I've seen photos.
1: I've seen photos of his mausoleum. It looks gorgeous.
0: Yes. His death mask is also in the house. I think Mm. uh some of his clothes and hat and stuff like that. Um here's a weird one for you. At the National Museum of Health and Medicine. This is a this is some real morbid museum shit, uh, which is uh in Maryland, Mm -hmm. his vertebra showing where the bullet went through that chunk right. is there.
1: They love vertebra there. Love it. <laughs> they got they got a piece of John Wilkes Booth vertebra too, I believe. Like
0: Yeah, 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 yeah.
1: What's up um, with
0: that? Yeah, uh they also have <laughs> Charles Gateau's skull. Ooh. That crazy crazy head. And even weirder, I would argue, uh our buddies at uh the uh Mütter Museum. Mhm. I don't know if it's on display all the time, but they have a chunk of Gatto's brain. Why? That brain, that crazy, crazy fucking brain. That brain
1: that got sliced up and sold, I'm sure. Oh, Ay-yay-yay. he was,
0: I mean, immediately. Dissected well they yeah of course they wanted to know what the fuck is going on in that head yeah they his brain has been analyzed many times over um his body because again the time period we're talking about people body snatching central they were like we can't bury him people are going to want to take his body apart and literally sell it (laughs) for like yeah yeah, to fans basically (laughs) to weirdos so he's basically just um anatomized he's broken up for parts. Into nothing. For, into nothing. <laughs> <laughs> Essentially his chunk brain here. He's literally oh. the scarecrow from Wizard of Oz. <laughs> and they took my brain and they brought it over there. They took my skull and they brought it over there. <laughs>
1: That's great.
0: <laughs> Sorry fucker. Too bad. Um so yeah, to me those were the most the most compelling artifacts and and place that I found. Um, but yeah. Oh Jimmy I love you. I'm so sorry. It's, it's
1: such an undertold <laughs> story too, and um...
0: I know. And and I'm mad that it's undertold. Once I I first got interested in it because of the musical assassins. I didn't know mm-hmm. who Charles Guteau even was, um, but then from there, I was so obsessed with the weirdness of the story and mm-hmm. like who the what made him matter as a president that you would kill him, and it just kind of snowballed from there, and. Yeah, the one of the best books, honestly, I've ever read, and all of you should read it, is uh, Destiny of the Republic. And it is just phenomenal. And that is the best deep dive you could possibly do into this subject.
1: Candace I, Millard is amazing. Oh my
0: God. she First, first of all, she's hot <laughs> as fuck.
1: She's she, gorgeous. <laughs> and she, Yeah, and she loves writing about these old men. She wrote a, The River of Doubt about River T- of Doubt, T- which is another TR's- great book. Amazon Journey. Your boyfriend, one of, one Winston. Of my, one of my favorites, Hero of the Republic, yeah. about Winston Churchill's time in the Boer War. Yeah. Um, and She, she loves writes, the Republic. <laughs> she writes thrilling, yeah, she loves Rivers and Republics. She writes thrilling epics. Um, because
0: she's not a historian, she's a journalist, she's a writer, so she writes. she writes as a storyteller. Which so is the, a big thing. Oh my god, so the books give you like, he was standing on the harbor looking out at the sea and like yes. tells the story in that way rather than like, Thank <laughs> you. In 1872, he went. Evidence suggests. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah,
1: no, it's, it's true. Like, like David McCullough, a lot mm-hmm. of the great historical writers are actually not historians in the traditional sense, but they sure can wear the mantle of historian because of yeah. what they do. It's amazing. They are compelling
0: um, writers. So, yes. yes, those are my recommendations. Luke, thank you for coming with me on this devastatingly sad journey. <laughs>
1: thank you for side. making it as enjoyable as possible <gasps> and so informative. Uh, I was you. thrilling to get so much more information on that. Thank you for sharing. Thank you and strap in folks because there's more morbid president content Coming your way as the month of February <laughs> continues. Whether you
0: like it or not.
1: That's right. Click on. Um, thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Morbid Museum Podcast. Please remember to rate and subscribe and review us wherever you listen to podcasts. Please follow us on TikTok, on Instagram at the Morbid Museum and support us today by becoming a Morbid buddy on Patreon. We love getting your feedback and hearing from our listeners. Until next time, we'll see you for another gallery talk inside of the Morbid Museum Podcast. Bye-bye. Bye. Stay sanitary, (laughs) y'all. I am going to the Lord here. (laughs)